In her book, Living Well, author and nun Joanne Chidister offers these words on what living well looks like. Quote, The key to living well is not so much what's outside of us as what's inside of us. It is what is deepest within us, not what is most vexing around us that determines the quality of our lives. That's why we have to fill ourselves with thoughts that give substance to our relationships, perspective to our memories, wisdom to our daily decisions, and spirit to our hearts. Everything that's in the heart we either put there or we allow to nest there. We are responsible for the content of our souls. Now, Joanne Chittister says a lot in those few words, and in particular, her last sentence, quote, we are responsible for the content of our souls. But as revealing and penetrating as that line may be, it's her first sentence that frames this message this morning. Again, I quote her, the key to living well is not so much what's outside of us as what's inside of us. It is what is deepest within us, not what is most vexing around us that determines the quality of our lives. The problem and challenge is this. We are often very unaware of what's going on inside of us. Since we're often unaware of what's going on inside of us, we often think changing the external will change or will improve the quality of our lives. Think about this. We change jobs. We change relationships. Sometimes we change friends. We may even change locations, all in the hopes of changing the quality of our lives. Sometimes this works. And sometimes it works just for a short period of time. But then we find ourselves back in that place of restlessness, meaninglessness, boredom, exhaustion, a longing for something more, but just not quite sure what it is or what it looks like. This is where following Jesus becomes more than just an exercise in religious piety. Following Jesus and living in the way of Jesus can also show us how to live so that we can live well and flourish in the way God intends. And what we discover about Jesus is that even he had to get away from the external noise and activity of his day so he could focus on what was going on inside of him. I think it's accurate to say Jesus was the most self-aware person that ever lived, and self-awareness is the key to living well. Self-awareness really has become a huge topic of late, both in personal development and even in the world of leadership development. Author and researcher Daniel Goleman came out with this groundbreaking book years ago called Emotional Intelligence, in which he suggested that as important as IQ may be, what is even more important is emotional intelligence. In fact, he would suggest more leaders sabotage their leadership, not because they are not smart enough, rather they sabotage their leadership due to lacking emotional intelligence, which really is the ability to define and manage your own emotions. The key to emotional intelligence is that of self-awareness. Being aware of what is going on inside of you so you and I can adequately respond to what is going on around you. This is living and leading well. Now, obviously, Jesus had not heard of emotional intelligence, but Jesus was certainly self-aware and God-aware. And it was this dual awareness that enabled him to fulfill his divine mission and call given to him by God. So case in point, our scripture text for today. Jesus has just finished an intensive time in ministry. He spent time with the demon-possessed and the sick, and the Gospel of Mark tells us the whole town gathered by the door. Now, in those days, these towns were not that big, but nonetheless, this is an intensive time in ministry and being with people, sick people, demon-possessed people, people in need. And the whole town is right outside the door waiting for Jesus to heal and restore them. And Jesus is healing the people and throwing the demons out. 
Now, I've never had that kind of ministry experience, one with a whole town gathered at my door consisting of people needing healing and demons needing, needing to be cast out. But I've had those days and those weeks where I've been with people and they're hurt, in their suffering, in their pain, in their moments where life is simply not going well. And in those moments, you're just, you're with them physically, you're with them emotionally. And it can be exhausting and it can be draining. And you find yourself eventually all peopled out, as I like to put it. And you realize you need space. It's that moment when you hear the Southwest Airlines jingle in your head, want to get away, and you're thinking, yeah, I really do. I want to get away. Well, this is what Jesus did. He got away. Mark tells us the next morning Jesus got up, went to a deserted place where he could be alone. And part of the challenge for us in our modern world is we have a very difficult time being alone. We don't want to be alone with our thoughts. We don't want to be alone with our heart and our soul. And so to avoid this time of being alone, we fill up our time with activity, with noise, with conversations, and often meaningless talk. Now this is different than that of a feeling of loneliness. Loneliness is that feeling of having no connection with anyone. Feeling as if you have been forgotten. To experience aloneness or to be alone is to intentionally make time and space to pay attention to what is going on inside and to hear what is going on inside of your soul. It's cultivating self-awareness through being alone. The great Lutheran preacher and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer had this to say about aloneness. Quote, let him or her who cannot be alone beware of community. And let him or her who is not in community be aware of being alone. Each by itself has profound perils and pitfalls. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. End quote. You see, I think when we avoid this time of aloneness, we run the risk of drifting into a shallow life void of, as Bonhoeffer writes, words and feelings. In other words, there's nothing substantial, nothing of substance. We're skimming the surface of our lives, and we really have nothing to say, and we're not even in touch with our feelings. Jesus made time for this alone time. Even with the pressures of ministry and people, he intentionally made space in his life for aloneness and solitude, and it was the secret to his ability to live well, to live faithfully and to be resilient in the face of challenges. So the way I look at it, if Jesus is the way to follow and the way to live, then his practices and life have something to teach us, particularly this practice of alone time and disengaging from life has something to teach us about recovering our life. First, it's in this alone time, in these moments of solitude, that Jesus is able to reconnect with God. Mark tells us in the story that Jesus went to this deserted place where he could, quote, be alone in prayer. Now, prayer can mean many things to many people, but I like how author and pastor Brian Zahn describes it this way, quote, The primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly formed, end quote. And what are we being formed in? Well, we're being formed in the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. Last week in my message, I made the statement that each day, this world offers us narratives to live by. Buy this, own this, believe in this, achieve this. Violence will accomplish our means. And all these narratives, they want to form and shape our identity. 
but prayer helps us to reorient our hearts and our souls around the narrative that truly matters, the narrative of the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, the narrative of the Sermon on the Mount, the narrative of peacemaking, the narrative of trust in God's provision of our life. When we pray, we invite God to reform our hearts and our souls. We invite God to form and shape us according to God's ways and God's kingdom. Now, to be sure, prayer can take many forms. It can take the form of silence. It can take the form of written prayers. It can take the form of conversational prayer. But most importantly, it is listening and paying attention to how God speaks to shape us and remind us that the deepest truth about us is our identity grounded in God's love for you and I. And that in God's ways, we will find life, the life that is life. Second, as we look at Jesus and his ways, it's in this alone time that we are able to get clarity around our purpose and around our priorities. I'm always fascinated by this moment in this story when Simon finally finds Jesus and he says, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus simply responds this way, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages so that I can preach there. That's why I've come. Now, Jesus was so clear about his purpose and priorities that he was able to resist this temptation of succumbing to the expectations and adulation of the crowds. Instead, he heads in the other direction, the direction of God's purposes and call upon his life. I think sometimes we find our lives have to go in, quote, the other direction of what people are expecting of us and what they want from us. It's not that what they want is bad or harmful. It's just that it's not what our purposes and calling may be in that season of our life. When everyone is looking for you, it's tempting and easy to succumb to that kind of pressure. But what's more important is to follow that divine yes in your soul, that purpose deep within your soul, that purpose that may take you in the other direction of people's expectations, especially those who are closest to you. I think it was in this time of aloneness and prayer that Jesus was able to get clarity around why he had come and when that moment came in which he was tempted to follow the voices of expectation, he was able to go in the other direction, the direction of God's call and claim upon his life. We often live life well when we live the life God creates for us rather than the life others may expect of us. And one last fruit or byproduct of this alone time and making space for self-awareness is this. We are able to enter or re-enter our world with less reactivity and more compassion. And right after this scene of Jesus in his alone time of prayer, Mark offers a story of Jesus coming into contact with a man with a skin disease. Now this man begs Jesus to make him clean. This was both a spiritual necessity and a physical one because to be unclean in that time was to be excluded from religious circles. It was to be excluded from fellowship. Really, it was to be a social outcast. When Jesus sees this man, we're told that he was filled with compassion and he healed the man. I think it was because of Jesus' time in prayer and his time alone that he was refilled with God's compassion and love. And he was able to offer both patience and compassion for this man. We live in a world filled with needs and we can quickly experience compassion fatigue and we can lose patience with people and we can lose patience with the process and we can lose patience with the system. And when we do, we're more apt to avoid and ignore the needs around us and all of the begging for our acknowledgement. 
But when we build into our lives practices of alone time, practices of prayer, of reconnecting with God, the space to get clarity around our life and its purpose, I believe our souls are replenished. And we are able to reconnect with life in a way that offers compassion, presence, and patience. And at least to me, it feels as if our world is in dire need of compassion, presence, and patience. Bottom line is this. You and I were not designed to live life on a steady diet of activity, noise, movement, and crowds. Our souls need space to breathe and reconnect, both with God and with ourselves. And within that space, we are given this gift of self-awareness, that gift of being able to look at our lives and see what is in our souls, to listen to our lives and what they're saying to us. And sometimes the greatest gift we can give to ourselves is the space and grace for our souls to come out of hiding and reveal to us what we most need to know about ourselves, about our lives, about the direction our lives are headed, about our relationships and about our purpose. And it's in this space that our lives are reshaped and replenished So we, like Jesus, can re-engage the world and its needs with the compassion and healing presence of God. I'd like to offer a prayer. Gracious and loving God, we give thanks for those moments and spaces in our life in which you give us space to not only listen to you, but listen to ourselves. The space in which we are provided to become self-aware, aware of our fears, aware of our struggles, aware of our tiredness and exhaustion, but mostly to become aware of how you are calling us and who you are calling us to be, to help us regain a sense of purpose, a sense of clarity around our life, to help us remember what direction we need to go, sometimes going in the other direction of expectation, but going in the direction you call us to go. Help us to find this time so we can replenish and be refilled so that we can be with this world with a sense of compassion, that we can be with this world with a sense of love. And in those moments when injustice seems to go on and on, we can be in this world with a sense of patience. And when those around us are begging for our presence and begging for our attention, that we can be present to them as well. Thank you that Jesus has shown us the way, God, and may we live in that way as well. Amen.